Have you ever heard of famous Amos? We are not talking about chocolate chip cookies this morning. The famous Amos we're referring to is the man who was a prophet in Israel. He wrote a book that bears his name. Famous Amos grew up not so famous. He was an ordinary guy. He took care of sheep and he took care of sycamore trees. He lived in a small town known as Tekoa. We're not talking about the town a hundred miles north of Atlanta. We are talking about the town five miles south of Jerusalem, almost to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, we know, was full of sheep as when Jesus was born there, the angels appeared to the shepherds. Well, in, in Amos' day, there were sheep in Bethlehem, but even more in Tekoa, where he was a shepherd. When he identifies himself, he doesn't even call himself the shepherd of Tekoa. He just refers to himself as one of the shepherds. And this shepherd heard the word of God. And who knows whether he was pruning his trees or herding his sheep. God spoke to him. And the first word he got was, there is going to come an earthquake that will shake the Middle East. So he spoke the word. It took two years, but that word was fulfilled. Prophetically fulfilled because that one word that he was faithful to speak became a word that would define his whole ministry. It was a way of God saying to the people, you can trust Amos to deliver the word because when he said earthquake, there came an earthquake. And it was a word to Amos because every word that he would give from then on was in a sense earth moving, earth shaking. Amos was a plumb line prophet who called the people around the Middle East into accountability. I want to show you a map that I hope is vividly impressed on you. It's a picture of the Middle East when Amos was alive. But more than just a picture with cities around it. What we find is when Amos preached... After the prophecy of the earthquake, God gave him other words. And he spoke in chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2. He spoke to every nation surrounding Israel. He had a word for each of them. He spoke to Syria, the city of Damascus in the northeast. He spoke to Iran. Uh, to the north. He spoke to Egypt and Gaza to the southeast, Edom to the south, and Tyre, Ammon directly east, Moab and Judah. And he served them notice. So all over the basin of the Middle East, he had covered with God's word and God's purpose 
all around Israel. And then he has a word from chapter 2, the first ha- second half of chapter 2, all the way through the first half of chapter 9. Eight chapters he speaks to Israel. Now, the reason I want you to see this entire picture covered with the prophetic Word of God is in case you have ever wondered what in the world is ever going to solve the Middle East problem. This thing is spinning out of control. There is no hope for our world because of the tensions in the Middle East. If you have ever been concerned or anxious watching the news and knowing current events and what in the world is ever going to put our world back together, particularly in the Middle East. And now that the Arab Spring has come and the nations that are the most volatile seem to be unraveling from within. Let Amos bring you comfort that God who spoke a word through Amos covering the entire Middle East, is still on the throne, and he has the Middle East in the palm of his hand. If you don't get anything else out of Amos, that's the Word of God. Now, how is it that a man who was not born into the family of a prophet, priest, or king who had no um, pedigree that would earn him a position of prophetic voice over the entire Middle East, how is it that he could dare speak a word not only to Israel, but to Saudi Arabia, to Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, And that whole Arab world. How is it that Amos would dare to do such a thing? And the bottom line is, oh, you're going to love this. I've got goosebumps. The reason that Amos could dare take on the whole Middle East is because Amos heard the lion roar. Now, I want you to just listen to this. Amos chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. The Lord roars from Zion. Chapter 3, verse 3. Does a lion roar in the thicket when he has no prey? Does he growl in his den when he has caught nothing? Chapter 3, verse 8. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Now, how many of you watch the evening news? Let me just, how many of you watch the evening news? Okay. How many of you have found that you have to eat dinner before you watch it? Because if you wait till after, you're going to have too much indigestion that you you can't even watch it. Well, you may watch Wolf Blitzer, but I want to ask you, have you heard the lion roar? You may listen to the fish, but I want to ask you, have you heard the lion roar? 
I'm not talking about some Narnia movie. Not have you seen it on video. Oh, don't you love Lucy when she gets near Aslan? Don't you love when, when Aslan takes on the, the rest of the, the armies coming against? Oh, that's fine. I'm not asking you, have you seen a movie? Have you heard the lion roar? Our God has become so buddy-buddy, so feel-good. But is your God, the God you worship, still big enough to roar over you and to put everything in life in its proper perspective? When you think of your own marital issues, your own financial issues, your own family issues, can you still hear the lion roar? How is it that Amos would dare take on the countries around Israel? How is it that he, a shepherd boy, a guy that prunes his sycamore bushes, would dare speak a prophetic word and take on the whole nation? You see, when the, when the roar of the lion comes, that roar puts everything in a different perspective. Because it's no longer about Amos, it's about the roar. It's no longer about the, the trouble around Israel, it's about the roar. It's no longer what's going to happen to our nation, it's about the roar. No, brothers and sisters, there is one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who walks not only the Middle East, but all the nations of the world. Who even with all the nonsense of Democrats and Republicans, roars over our nation. When you get a bird's eye view of the book of Amos, you can divide it into two sections. It shows God as the one who will bring judgment and the one who will bring restoration. The first eight and a half chapters are the judgment. The last half chapter is the restoration. That's the book of Amos. When it comes to judgment, the first chapter and a half is about God judging the other nations that form the perimeter of Israel. And then from chapter 2, about halfway through it, into the half of chapter 9, it's all on God's inspection, God's accountability, God speaking prophetic judgment to His people. And being a man who worked with sheep and with trees... He used vivid images like furniture and banquets and grain and war and sacrifice and temple courts and crops and baskets of fruit and locusts and water and kings and weather and lions and sky and sheep and locusts and plumb line. Chapter 7, God drops His Word right down the middle of His people. And unlike a level, which we use to tell what's level, 
unlike a compass that points due north. A plumb line works according to gravitational pull. And a plumb line shows what is perfectly vertical from any angle. It's not just from one perspective. No matter what perspective you have, that plumb line serves as an accurate line of what is vertical. What is up and what is down. And brothers and sisters, we as the people of God have the same problem that they had in Amos' day. We as the people of God have always had a problem of veering slightly off what is perfectly up and what is perfectly down. What is perfectly good and what is perfectly evil. What is straight and what is a little out of plumb. Those of you that are builders know the importance of the plumb line. It's a unique symbol. No matter what vantage point you have, you get an accurate view of up and down. And as the people of God in Amos' day, they needed to see again clearly what is up and what is down. And so God roared over them and spoke to them a word that was catalytic. The plumb line that was dropped was like the, the, the building inspector coming to inspect what was being built among the people of God. And the plumb line that was dropped became a, a reality check. It was almost like a doctor's visit. When a doctor will look at your vitals. And as when we go to a doctor, they check our hearing, our sight, and our reflexes. What we find here in the book of Amos is that God was inspecting their hearing, their seeing, and their reflexes. One of the prayers God's taught us to pray is, Lord, give me or give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to understand, and a will to obey what you say and show us. Now that prayer is exactly the points of accountability that Amos held the people of God. First word is here throughout Amos's prophecy. He frequently says, here, here, chapter 3, verse 1, hear this word, the Lord has spoken. Chapter 4, verse 1, hear this word. Chapter 5, verse 1, hear this word. And it goes on throughout the book. Hear, hear, hear. God holds us radically accountable to what we hear. It's the Hebrew word Shema. It's what's uh, portrayed by the blowing of the shofar. Now when God says here, unlike when I say it, when God says it, it not only gets our attention, 
It catalytically works a miracle so that people who were previously unable to hear are now suddenly able to hear. When God said, let there be light, there was suddenly light when there was none before. When God says, hear, those who could not previously hear the Word of God can now instantly hear the Word of God. It's miracle working in its here. And when God spoke to His people, He was now holding them radically accountable to that Word. As Henry Blackaby taught us through experiencing God, when we get a Word from God, that Word does not lead us to an encounter with God. That Word is the encounter with God. Hear. And then see. See. Vision. God tests our vision. Because one of the ways God communicates is through His Word. The other way God communicates is through His revelation. Chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord does nothing without revealing His plan to His servants, the prophets. So He shows us what He's going to do. Jesus said, I do nothing except what I see my Father doing. So the Father revealed to the Son what He was doing, even as the Father reveals to us what He's doing. And He holds us as accountable to what He shows us as to what He says to us. Then the third thing God tests is our reflexes. God wants to know that we not only hear and see, but we join Him. We obey Him in the very hearing of His Word or seeing the revelation of what He's doing. And so in our day, God is speaking and God is showing and He wants us to be accountable. Now follow this. In Amos' day, it was the heyday of Israel. It was the most affluent period in Israel's history. And because of that, they got prideful. Their pride led to arrogance, their arrogance to insensitivity, their insensitivity to the oppression of the poor and the complacency with the things of God. And as a result, they oppressed the poor. At least five times in the book of Amos, God convicts the people for oppressing the poor and failing to respond to His mercy for the poor, for the orphan, for those that need the love of God the most on this earth. Now having shown His purposes through Amos, all throughout the book, God is groaning. God says, seek good and you will live. Four times. Seek good and you will live. Why? Because when God judges us, it is always for the sake of purification and restoration. God does not judge His children punitively. He is not out to punish us. He's punished His Son once and for all on the cross. 
Jesus took the punishment so that we, when He disciplines us, is calling us into restoration. Now in Amos' day, the reason he loved the lion's roar is he was familiar with it. In Amos' day, he as a shepherd protected his sheep from their primary predator, which was the lion. There were at least five or six species of large cats in Amos' day. Six are referred to in the Bible. Six different Hebrew words refer to lions. Now, there are lions that get as big as nine feet uh, in size and can weigh three to four hundred pounds. No one's fully sure of the size of those that roamed through Israel. But they did, and David slew a lion. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Those were lions that weren't imported from India or South Africa. Those were lions that were native to that area. Large beasts. Now when a lion roars, what do we do? Well, we hear the roar. We turn to see the lion. And then we get out of there. We hear, we see, and we respond. That is what Amos is holding the the people of God accountable for. For their hearing, their seeing, and their responding. Now when the lion roars, in the natural, we would all be frightened. And there is a healthy fear of lions. But we, the people of God, have a totally different response to the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah than those who are outside of faith. The nations around Israel ought to fear the lion's roar for different reasons. For the people of God, the lion's roar is, is, is the greatest sound they'll ever hear. You mean to tell me you're bigger than this situation I'm facing? You're bigger than my personal issues? Oh, as I wrap this up, I want to just tell three quick stories of times when I was in college when I first heard the lion roar. I've heard him roar many times since. In fact, if I go too long without hearing the roar, I drop everything and seek his face. Don't ever make a major decision without the lion's roar. Don't ever change course without the lion's roar. Okay, first, I was flying home from Newark Airport to O'Hare to go back to school, and it was the worst a thunderstorm I'd ever seen. And uh, it was back when they flew through all the, the, the crud of weather. Now they don't do that anymore because of wind shear. But this goes back before they took... Nobody cared about wind shear. I just keep flying. 
Well, there were briefcases that were literally falling all over the place. Uh, everybody's drinks were on the side. Uh, there was a guy who was walking down the middle aisle and he hit his head on the ceiling. Seriously. We were, and, uh, so they put the beverage carts away, obviously, and then everybody fastened down. It was that kind of a incredibly violent. And at that moment, I didn't know if the plane went down that I would go up. I'm not sure I would have gone to heaven. All I know is I would have been dead. Then what? I I wouldn't have known. The first thing I did when I landed is I thought, I've got to get myself right with God. I've got to know for sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. God gave me a verse from 1 John 5.13. He who believes in Me, by this you may know that you have eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ. By this you may know that you have eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ. I said, that's me. I've got to know. And the Lord roared over me and gave me that assurance of my salvation through Christ alone. Then He revealed to me the depth of my own personal sinfulness. This was after I knew that I was born again. But God revealed how dark my sins were. And I thought, how can He forgive me for those? It wasn't a matter of whether I'd go to heaven or not. For me, it was just, is He going to forgive me or not? Because I knew how ugly my sins were before a holy God. And I'll never forget the day God gave me that promise. Blessed is He from Psalm 32. Blessed is He whose sins are forgiven, in whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. God said there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then the third thing was my call. What am I going to do with my life? And every time I prayed, God spoke to my heart the same thing. I could hear the lion roar. Will you speak for me? Will you speak for me? No matter where I was, every Sunday in church, no matter what the pastor was preaching, God was speaking to me. Will you speak for me? So what is it for you this morning? Now the final thing is this. You all know the verse in the Bible that says the devil is a roaring lion seeking someone whom he may devour. The devil at times impersonates the true lion. And he will roar and induce fear that will make us want to run. If you're hearing a roar that makes you want to run, it's probably not the voice of God. If you're born again and the, and the Lord is roaring, if you hear a roar, it's probably God. Or I'm sorry, it's probably the devil who's roaring to intimidate you. 
I loved when we sang those words this morning about how we don't have to run and hide. That there is a word, one word, that will defeat that roaring lion and make him flee from us. Now, if you've been living in the middle of roars, I want to make sure that the roar that is the dominant is the voice of God and not the intimidation of the enemy. Whatever it is that you're facing in your life at this season, God wants to roar over you and put in proper perspective the issues that you are facing so that as you face them, you will not run here or there, but that you will know the nearness, the presence of the God who is here with you. Amen.